Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. This is our final gathering for this semester. So it's so good to be with all of you. Yeah, so last time Courtney spoke, um, we had so much great discussion and so many questions. We wanted to bring her back again to talk about a topic that just weighs heavily on so on all of our hearts. Let's just be honest, all of us. Um, so she's gonna talk to us today. Um, Courtney is a therapist, both uh, she's done private practice and she also works as mental health uh, specialist in a pediatrician's office. Don't you wish you had that in your pediatrician's office? I think it's so awesome. Um, and so she's gonna talk to us today. She's also my sister-in-law. She introduced me to my husband. I was like, your little brother is cute. <laughs> So that's a whole story. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to welcome Courtney up here. Dear Lord, uh, thank you so much for chances like this to slow down and uh, just be present in this moment to, to learn something. Um, Lord, I pray that today will be helpful for all of our hearts, either if it's giving us um, discernment for the future with our children or wisdom about how to handle certain situations that we're currently in or healing from the past. Lord, I pray that you will just, um, just help each of us to glean what you want us to glean from today. Thank you so much for this group and thank you for the chance to gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's welcome Courtney Alberts. Cracked me up with like this topic. <laughs> um, well, ladies, thank you so much for having me here. Um, Sarah sometimes will send me, um, you know, different talks that you guys have had, and I love this community and like what this what this is. And so many of these podcasts have spoken to me, so I'm just really privileged to be here. Um, I want to say um, so. I'm speaking today on keeping kids safe from sexual abuse. Um, there are, there's a woman named Feather Burkauer. Has anybody in here taken her Parenting Safe Children um, course? Okay. Just curious. I just kind of want to know where we're at. So she's kind of the authority on this in Colorado and like kind of the nation. Uh, I'm not here to rewrite the book, okay? I'm just here as, you know, a peer. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christian mom myself. Uh, Feather, the woman who does that, is also not a Christian. And I think I can bring that unique perspective of, like, how do we think about this topic um, as Christian mothers? And then also as a clinician, I get calls weekly from moms who have questions about how to protect their children, what to do in certain circumstances. And so I want you to know that I'm coming at it with a lot of information from her, but also with like kind of that unique background of like a Christian and also a clinician. So just wanted to kind of let you all know that, okay? So I... um I cite her a lot um, in this, in this, and that's because she's wonderful. In um, in the references section, there will be information about how to take her program. It's online or whatever, and she also has the most extensive list of resources. So we'll we'll get to that later. I just wanted to start start with that. Um, I want to start first by. Um, talking about what a sensitive topic this can be, okay? Um, statistically speaking, there are several of you who have experienced sexually, sexual abuse in here, and so I want you to know this, this can be very, I, I know that this can be a very triggering topic. And so I just want to 
want to say that we don't parent well out of fear. And as believers, we have the most amazing tool to deal with our fear. And so I think um, with that, I just want to kind of talk about some things that make us afraid of this topic, right? So personal experiences, having experienced abuse ourselves, um, knowing people who have experienced abuse. Um, also, um, <laughs> a lot of times as um, parents, we think if we avoid a topic, it just kind of goes away. Um, and um, a lot of times that's just how we handle fear. Um, the other thing is it makes us anxious, right? Like we can't protect our children from everything. So if we kind of avoid the topic, a lot of times um, we we feel like it just won't, won't will go away. So um, just want to kind of um, chat about those for a second. If you're noticing in yourself, the, like this topic is triggering something, um, I want you to trust, um, you know, what God says in his word, right? We can't say don't be afraid to ourselves without putting the peace of God on. And so I want you guys to just, you know, if you go home tonight and you're feeling anxious or, um, or this afternoon and you're feeling anxious or just really triggered, um, try to just reflect on some scriptures. Um, a few that come to mind for me is um, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Can any one of you, um, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Um, and that extends to our children, right? By worrying about our children, we cannot protect them, right? Worry does not help us protect them. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And of course, that goes on to talk about a lot of other things, but I, I don't know why I put this image of a tree and I just kept, as I was thinking about talking today, I just kept thinking about that image. I want you guys to just think about the roots that we have in Christ and his word as you just start to feel weary or anxious about any of this. I think that's a wonderful one to remember. Second uh, Timothy 1.7, for the spirit of God gave us... Um, so for the Spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So, just before we get started, I wanted to start with that, just so you guys are feeling saturated with that as we move into a difficult topic. So. Okay, so let's start first with what sexual abuse is. This is really, really important to understand in order to kind of, um, well, understand what we're dealing with. So um, any sexual touching be between an adult and a child, sexual touching between children when the sexual behavior is too advanced for their age, there is a two to three age difference or coercion is involved. Sexual abuse and assault includes both touching of genitals and non-touching, looking, showing, exposing genitals, as well as viewing, creating, possessing, or distributing child sexual abuse imagery to meet the perpetrator's sexual interests. This is um, one that's, um, could you go back to that uh, last one really quick? So one that's the most surprising for a lot of parents is the, um, one, looking, showing, exposing. That is considered sexual abuse, and that's something that is really, really common. Um, parents are like, oh, that's not sexual abuse, but we really have to define it as sexual abuse because 
and we'll get into more, but that really can be traumatic in a lot of different ways for children, and we'll talk more about that, but it's really important to define sexual abuse um, so that we're not like, oh, that's just kids, kids being kids. We need to have a line in the sand of, no, this is abusive behavior, and that's what I want you guys to walk away from this presentation with, of like, this is abusive, and this is what I do if I notice it, and this is how I can keep it from happening, if at all possible. Um, okay, next, next slide. Um, why is it dangerous? Um, this is something, you know, obviously being a therapist that I'm passionate about because um, sexual abuse is devastating to so many people. Um, you know, it can increase depression, suicide, anxiety, PTSD risks, um, increase suicide rates, low self-esteem. Um, one thing that it does um, from a child development standpoint is it speeds up sexual development. So it can make children over-sexualized, under-sexualized. It just can change their development in so many different ways. Also, a skewed understanding of sex, relationships, bodies, touch. We are sexual creatures. We have a body. We have genitals. And so to start life with like any sort of uh, abuse to those areas is, is really, really hard um, for children. Um, and so I think that that's just something to keep in mind why this is such a big, big issue. Um, so I think um, a lot of times parents that I talk with will um, like you know, when there's sexual abuse, I'll say, have you talked to the um, your children about body safety? Have you talked to them about sexual abuse? And they'll be like, no, no, I didn't think it was the right time, or I just didn't know what to say, or, you know, a lot of different things like that. And we can all relate to that, right? Like, but what I want you all to know is statistically speaking, um, your child is more likely to be sexually abused than really seriously hurt in a car accident. And would you let your kid ride in a car without a seatbelt? A bike without a helmet? No. And this is a very serious issue that we need to pay as much attention as we do that when we're buckling our child into a seatbelt. Like, we need to take that kind of caution with this issue. Okay. So these are some facts. And these are really important to consider in um, protecting our children. 30 to 50% of child sexual assault is committed by youth. Okay. So what do you all think of when you think about a sexual abuse perpetrator, right? Creepy old guy, right? But this, this is so important because not only am I here to help you all protect your children against sexual assault, but protect your children from assaulting other kiddos. And assaulting is a strong word, but I work with so many amazing kids from amazing families that have sexually abused other children and it's not because they were abused themselves. Sometimes it's out of curiosity. Sometimes it's, and we'll go into some different reasons. But I want you all to know that I'm helping you with both of those things by these topics. So pay attention to some of these numbers. Um, the CDC estimates that approximately one in six boys and one in four girls are sexually abused before the age of 18. Now, those numbers seem really, really high. But if you go back to that definition of se what sexual abuse is, um, it helps you kind of understand this is a, a spectrum, okay? Um, random acts of physical and sexual violence do occur. Um, child sexual assault is most likely to be committed by a family member, teacher, neighbor, coach, babysitter, clergy, or someone else you and your child already know. 
More than one-third of child sexual assault is against minors and is committed by a juvenile. Um, that kind of, you know, uh, I already said that a little bit, but that just reinforces that. Ages 12 to 14 are peak years for sex offenses against younger children, but children as young as 5, 6, and 7 sexually out, act out on other children. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, only 10% of perpetrators were strangers to the children and 23% um, of the perpetrators were children themselves. So some of that is kind of, um, you know, redundant, but um, one of the most important pieces is, is that children um, are commonly perpetrators um, or youth and then people they know. Um, in my past, I worked a lot with um, perpetrator, uh, juvenile perpetrators of sexual abuse. So these are kids that were under 12 oftentimes that had sexually abused other kids. And that was like at the foundation of my career. And it was wonderful for me to understand that these kids were not just attacking some child on the playground. They were assaulting their siblings, their cousins, their neighbors, a friend. Like these were not, you know, and a lot of times that has to do with because there's trust and accessibility, okay? And we'll get into that a little bit later, but another thing to just be aware of, okay? So a lot of times the issues that parents ask me are like, this is such a gray area, right? Like if we, if there's so much gray area in sexual abuse, if we as parents like witness something that makes us uncomfortable, it's really important again that we know when to define it as sexual abuse or not sexual abuse. So um, especially with children, they're sexual beings, right? They, they are growing and developing sexual beings. And so there's going to be, um, there's going to be lots of touching of their genitals and curiosity about genitals and things like that. And so I just want to kind of go over what would be appropriate for your child to be doing, what is inappropriate. So appropriate. The sexual play is between children who have an ongoing, mutually enjoyable friendship. The sexual play is between children of similar size, age, and social emotional development. The play is lighthearted and spontaneous. When adults set limits, children are able to follow the rules. Um, for example, keeping their clothes on at daycare. Interactions are free from shame, blame, secrecy, coercion, or manipulation. And interaction is 100% consensual. We will go over some body safety rules to have in your home that can help you redirect this kind of behavior. But I want you to know that if like, um, and we'll go over some scenarios that are like really common, um, but in general, this is considered appropriate age, appropriate behavior. That doesn't mean as parents, we, we don't give boundaries like, hey, we don't, we don't take our clothes off in front of our friends. Let's put those back on. And we do need to guide our children like that, but that's considered appropriate. Inappropriate would be, in, um, which would be defining abuse, would be coercion, um, lack of consent, power difference. This power difference is a big deal, okay? So let's say power difference can be defined by size, by age, um, physical stature, also uh, popularity, okay? So let's say your child doesn't have any friends and the most popular kid on the playground, ask him to show him his penis. 
that is considered um, a power difference, okay? Because your child really wants to impress this older kid, okay? And that's something really important to think about. That's considered abusive. Children who talk about or stimulate adult sexual acts beyond what is age appropriate. Okay, so um, these are actual scenarios that I've gotten calls about probably within this year. Um, and so what I would like you to do is based upon kind of those, those scenarios that we talked about, the coercion, the power, the inappropriate for their age, I would like you guys to talk at your table about these scenarios and talk about if you think they're abusive behaviors um, or non-abusive. Are they age appropriate? So why don't you guys talk at your table about these different scenarios and then we'll kind of go over them together. Okay? So just talk amongst yourselves at your table and just kind of talk about what your thoughts are. All right. Well, let's go over these alone and then I kind of want to hear some of your all's reactions to these and we'll kind of talk about like what we would do in these kind of scenarios, okay? So the first one, your two boys are playing in a bathtub and start a game of grabbing each other's penises. <laughs> Anybody think this is abusive or not abusive behavior? Okay. So totally age appropriate, okay? Um, kids do this sort of thing all the time. We are going to talk about some body safety rules that can help you redirect this, but this is something I get a lot of calls about is like, especially... Um, as a mother, like seeing your boys play with their penises and things like that is like, oh my gosh, is this like normal? And they tend to do that a lot. Yeah. Um, I know for me, one time I was at, even though we have a lot of like body safety rules, my son, we were at Nordstrom's Rack and he was like two and his penis was out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... <laughs> what is this? Is he like, you know, this, like, is something wrong with him? And then I was like, no, no, buddy, we keep that in. Remember we talk about that. But, um, the second one, you catch your daughter and a friend, um, are watching pornographic material on a tablet together. So they're same age, abusive or non-abusive. Yep. So again, this is something I get calls about all the time. And, Pornographic material is so accessible, and a lot of times girls, girls, boys, all ages will see images like this. They'll share them with each other, and as long as it's same age, it's not something that's reportable. It would definitely be something as a parent I would ex expect you to kind of redirect and talk to your girls about, and then we'll talk about that, but that would be something I would consider not abusive. Um, your son tells you that he, age four, and an older cousin, age eight, show, showed each other their genitals. Abusive or non-abusive? Okay, why is it abusive? Yes, age, and you think about, like, older cousins, younger cousins, like, there's that coercive piece, that power piece of, like, I want to impress them, right? Um, I actually, I have a, a client that that I see... Um, that, that went through this situation and it totally shocked his parents when I called it abusive. And they were like, no, 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 he was just being curious. And I was like, even if he's being um, curious, this was abusive to the younger child, okay? So the younger child just wanted to impress her older cousin and he had a lot of power in that relationship. So it's really important to not just say this is child appropriate behavior, okay? Um, you find your son kissing his same age friend's penis. This happens a lot. 
Yes, a lot. Abusive or unabusive? Or not abusive, sorry. I don't even know if unabusive is a word. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Yeah, same age is really important here. Kissing pushes it a little further, right? Um, children do all sorts of things to explore. So this one I would be curious about, but I wouldn't be super red flag. I would redirect the behavior, and we'll, again, we'll talk more about that. But as long as it was a kind of one-time thing, I wouldn't be too concerned. I might be curious if it was your own son or another friend, where has the son seen this type of behavior before? But I've seen it where it just kind of organically occurred to them, too. So based upon my, my knowledge. Um, your daughter's friend's parent tells you that they were playing truth or dare, and someone dared another to show them their vagina. Anybody? Abusive or non-abusive? What do you think? Okay, why do you think it's abusive? Yes, this one's tricky too. This one actually happened at my house <laughs> with me doing the laundry um, outside of the door, okay? So um, I was actually accused of like something really abusive happening at my house when I was right there. So I bring this up because truth and dare is a really, really dangerous game, okay? Because there is that coercion, there's that power, there's a lot of different things. And while I still believe that this never happened, I just want you all to kind of understand the dynamics that are at play at Truth or Dare. So again, I think this one's a gray area, but definitely something where you direct and you talk to, you know, I would talk to these girls about, um, about you know, appropriate behavior. I'd keep more of an eye on them, that sort of thing, okay? Um, your five-year-old son tells you that his 10-year-old neighbor showed him a video of boobies and butts. What do you guys think, abusive or not abusive? Yeah, so this is absolutely abusive. So what happens here, and we'll go into this more, but this happens so, so, so frequently. So I want you to know that this 10-year-old could be your child, it could be, um, it could be a cousin, it could be a, um, a neighbor, all these different things, and this happens a lot because these kiddos have devices, okay? And even on child's or children's YouTube, there is pornographic material. And how often, um, and these kids are excited about it, they're confused by it, but it can be abusive because what's happening is by showing it to the five-year-old, it awakens this part of his brain. It can be traumatic to his brain. It can be all, have all sorts of negative impact on this kid whose brain is not prepared to see these sort of images, okay? So that's abusive behavior. Um, we'll talk what to do about that situation later. Okay, sorry, next one. Um, looking out for. Um, so as parents, um, there is a lot of things to look out for, and I want you guys to not feel overwhelmed, but rather trust your gut. That's the best tool that you have. 
But specifically speaking, I think I need to talk about a couple of these things because these are things that kind of stand out um, as, you know, kind of warning signs. Grooming. So who's familiar with grooming in here? Okay. So grooming is basically where it's like basically buttering up the child to kind of do what they want, right? They can do this through gifts or um, alone time making the child feel special. Basically trying to add to the relationship so that they're more likely to comply to their whatever they're requesting. So this grooming can occur through gifts. Um, so if you see somebody giving your child a lot of gifts or... Um, spending a lot of special time with them, calling them a lot, any sort of special attention that kind of in the back of your head, you're like, huh, this is interesting. This seems a little excessive. Trust your gut. It doesn't mean that child or that neighbor or that cousin is sexually abusive, but this is this would be where you, when your child is alone with that person, you might be like, huh, I want to pay attention to this, okay? And that's just where you go with this. You're like, huh, I'm going to... I'm going to second guess maybe this sleepover that this 10-year-old wants to have with my 5-year-old, right? I'm going to maybe make sure that there's a parent around all the time. So just have a little extra vigilance. Um, this is a huge, huge one. Um, children who struggle with social skills or boundaries, okay? Social skills and boundaries, this would be like... Um, I don't know if you all, you all probably can think about a kid that violates boundaries a lot that you know, okay? So like a kid that's constantly pushing your kid or um, taking things away from them or forcing them to do things. Um, and you just want to be cautious with a kid, even if they're old, a lot older than your kid and you see them that they don't fit in with their same age peers. That's also a huge warning sign um, because that shows us if they don't fit in with their peers, that their peers are probably recognizing something about them that, that's probably a little bit different, okay? Doesn't mean that that's bad, but maybe they don't understand social norms, okay? Which can predispose them to kind of do things and push boundaries, okay? Um, youth who always want to hang out with younger children. This one's huge. Um, especially in churches, okay? There's so many volunteer opportunities for older kids to work with younger kids, which I think is so amazing. But when you have kids who would prefer to hang out with younger kids and same age peers, that's another big warning sign because a lot of times they feel rejected and hurt and pain and they can get acceptance power through younger kids, okay? And so that's just something, again, you don't want to say to your kids, no, you can't play with the neighbor, but this would be something where you should just have some caution with relationships like this. Phones and tech devices. Um, oh my gosh. Like, it's, it's such easy access to our kids to have pornography and connection with dangerous people. And so I think for you all, I think this is talked about a lot, so I'm not going to go into that very deeply. I have another slide about it in a little bit, but that's a huge one. Um, online gaming and friends. I hear this a lot. I actually have a, a kiddo that I'm seeing right now that's like 12, and he's been groomed for the last three years by somebody through a video game, okay? And um, lots of very explicit uh, sexual abuse happening through the video games. So video games aren't safe either, okay? There's that online chat that's happening all the time with them. Um, swimming situations, bathing suits, lots of exposed body parts, lots of changing locker rooms, underwater play. This is something where a lot of sexual abuse happens. So if your kids are at, if you're going to a pool with a kid, 
just be a little cautious. Talk to them about, you know, like, hey, are you going to the bathroom? Why doesn't mommy come with you? Or, hey, if there's three of your, the kids you brought to the pool going to the bathroom together, why don't you walk them in there and just kind of make sure everybody's going to the bathroom separately? Different things like that. Just have increased caution when they are bathing suits, pool, changing their clothes. Maybe they're at your house and in a hot tub. Uh, lots of times I've heard of abuse happening when kids are changing, when they get out of the hot tub, okay? I know this is all sounds very, again, I don't want you to be afraid of these types of situations. Just be aware. Just be aware that this is, our children have developing minds and developing bodies and developing sexuality, and we need to help them harness it. So these are some situations that you just need to help them harness it more in that are very tempting for children. Okay, next one. Okay. So um, these are some things to teach your children to help prevent sexual abuse. In a lot of programs that help parents keep their children um, safe from sexual abuse, these are considered body safety rules. Um, I think what I wouldn't go home tonight and post these on the refrigerator or, you know, like drill them into everybody's heads tonight, but just try to have some policies in your home that are just rules. These are just rules about how our family works so that when you see your child doing something that seems like abusive or pushing the boundaries or something like that, you can say, oh, remember, we, we, we respect boundaries, right? That's just a family rule. And you can refer back to that, and we'll get into that as we keep going. Um, first thing, educate children early on their bodies and sex, Okay. This means using um, correct words for their body parts, okay? This is something talked about a lot, and I'm really, really glad. Um, I'll go into quickly why that is. Uh, a lot of times, children need to be able to tell us where they were touched, what made their, them be uncomfortable, and if they don't know the correct terms for it, it's really hard for us to communicate to them what's going on, okay? So that's just a little bit about that sex. That de this doesn't mean you should talk to your toddler about every detail of sex, okay? It's age appropriate. And a lot of parents are like, oh my gosh, what's age appropriate about ever talking to a child about sex? There is so many awesome books on this. My recommendation is to, um, so at the end of this PowerPoint, there's a link in uh, Feather Burkhauer's site, um, Parenting Safe Children. It she has the most extensive list of books um, for educating your children on this. Um, I like to keep an age-appropriate book in my kids' room all the time, okay? So a book about sex, like uh, their bodies, something like that. Because children are curious. They need to know what's going on. I talk to them about sex all the time but in their bodies, but they should have a reference that's safe and not the internet that they can access, okay? So if they're like, man, if it's a little boy and he's like, I wonder girls don't have penises, but what do they have? Then they could go look at that book and they can just, oh yeah, there it is, right? Let's talk about it. There's a difference. You know, what's that? What's this? Teach them the names. It's so, so important. My second one is also talked about a lot, but no secrets, okay? This is something where a lot of times perpetrators will tell children to, you know, this is our little secret. This is just between you and I, okay? And we want our children to have a little red flag that goes up, okay? That we don't keep secrets in our family. So this, instead of secrets, what I talk about in my family is, let's keep this private, let's have this be a surprise, things like that, okay? Also, it's just with, with 
kids in general, this can keep kids from a lot of dangerous behavior. Um, everyone's the boss of their own bodies and boundaries. This one is so, so, so important. I cannot even tell you how many kiddos who have started going down the path of sexually abusive behavior that start off doing things like tickling, scaring, things like that. They're pushing boundaries, even though the other child is saying, no, I don't want you to do that. Please stop, okay? They don't start by first sexually abusing the child. They start by pushing. And not just the child that they offend on, they start pushing siblings. They start pushing everybody to see how much they can get away with. So like in my family, um, I practice this with like our pets, okay? So like if my son is roughhousing with my dog and my dog seems like he wants to get away, I'll say, hey, like we're respecting Tucker's boundaries. Don't push his boundaries. He's telling you no, let's not push boundaries. Um, with my daughter and son, some, my son will occasionally like try to scare my daughter, even though she hates it. But what that's doing is it's, he's evoking a strong sense of fear in her, even though he knows she doesn't want it. Okay, so that's breaking down a boundary. So those are tickling, scaring are two huge ones. But just if you see one of your children pushing a boundary of another child, a sibling, a pet, say, hey, that's against our family rules. We don't push boundaries, okay? And if they're having a hard time with that, work with them just like you would like if they were struggling with math or spelling or something like that. Help them know how to have boundaries, especially if your kid has a hard time in controlling their impulses. This just might be an area where they can have some extra support in. Open door policy. If kids are, um, you have other kids over, have them keep the doors open. If they have grandparents over, uncles over, doors are open, okay? They can have the doors closed if they're in there alone. Um, we don't change clothes in front of others. This one's tough. I didn't know quite how to word this because we don't want to say you can just change clothes in front of family, right? Because family can be abusive too. So just kind of talk to your kids about situations. Just have this be a rule and be like, you can change in front of mommy and daddy because, you know, we're in a hotel room together or something like that. But in general, even as they get older, changing clothes in front of siblings and stuff like that can be very stimulating to older siblings that are prepubescent, things like that. And so just, you know, think about this rule and think about how you might want to talk to your kids about this one. We don't show our private parts or look at other people's private parts. We can look or touch our own private parts, but we need to do it in private, okay? So that's something where um, this is the most common one I hear, like, violated. And, you know, um, children will constantly expose themselves or try to look at other people's private parts. I know with my kids, there was, like, a lot of looking at, like, dolls or mannequins. Like, hey, what's under there, right? Um, so this is just something to just constantly redirect. You know what? That's their, that's their body. We, you know, respect that if you want to know. And if you see your kid looking or trying to show, you could, again, sh show them their books. Um, show them um, in appropriate ways. Um, again, we can, if you see your child touching themselves a lot, don't say, no, that's bad. That's horrible. We want them to have a healthy relationship with their genitals, okay? There is so much sensory input when they touch their genitals, even at this age, okay? So there's nothing wrong with them touching their genitals. Um, excessively, you might want to talk to your pediatrician about it. Sometimes where rashes and things like that might occur. But 
um, understand and just redirect it. Be like, hey, I see you're touching your penis a lot. Why don't you go to your room and do that? Remember, we don't do that in front of other people. Okay, that can make people uncomfortable or you can talk about other things like that. Teach them ways to handle uncomfortable situations. This means what would you do if like you were over at a friend's house and a brother was making you feel weird inside, right? What would you do, right? I'm a huge fan of uncomfortable situation, hypothetical conversations, right? I, this might seem a little excessive to a lot of people. Parents don't like when I tell them to do this, but an example of this would be, what would you do if you were at, um, if you were at grandma and grandpa's house and grandpa touched you and you, it felt like a weird touch for you? But here's what I would do first. I would start silly, okay? What would you do if mommy touched you in a way you didn't like? What would you do if your dog touched you in a way that you didn't like? What would you do if a neighbor touched you in a way you didn't like, right? You can even get more specific. What would you do if um, your teacher touched your penis, okay? I know this sounds so scary and hard to have these kind of conversations, but when you have these kind of conversations, when your kids are early, it doesn't plant seeds in their head. It tells them these sort of things can happen with trusted adults, okay? So I I used to do this when my kids were little. I was like, what would you do if a unicorn was at the playground and it was making you feel uncomfortable because it wasn't respecting your boundaries? And they're like, mom, that's not gonna happen. I'm like, well, what'd you do? And then I'd be like, what would you do if, you know, you felt like a, a kid wasn't, what, show, showed you his penis and, and you didn't know what to do because you didn't want him to get in trouble, right? Just lots of different scenarios. Talk about parents. Talk about yourself. What would you do if I touched you? What, just bring it up all the time because we want kids to think about these things ahead of time, okay? I know that sounds hard, so just think it over and experiment with small, small situations, but come up with ideas how they could get out of uncomfortable situations. Make time to listen to your children and believe them. I cannot even tell you how many times I've heard about kids saying something to their parents like, Grandpa tells me that there's a wolf in the basement. And the kids are like, oh, that's so silly. Like, there's not a wolf in the basement. Stop telling fibs, right? No, mom, there's a big scary wolf in grandpa's basement. And the parents are like, okay, okay, right? Get curious with your kids. Be like, oh, did you see the wolf? What was the wolf like, right? Did, Did the wolf make you feel unsafe? What do you think, do you think next time you go over to grandma and grandpa's, there's going to be a wolf there? Just get curious with your kids. Kids exaggerate and fib a lot of times to tell us something, okay? There's a difference when they're saying this type of thing um, versus lying about eating the last cookie, okay? So try to stick with their kids and their exaggeration and these kind of really um, exaggerated type stories. Tell your child you won't be mad at them if they tell you somebody's made them feel unsafe. This is a tricky one, okay? Because I have several kids that I've worked with that have told on a peer, told on a family member, that that family member is so angry at them, or they'll be um, excluded from kids at school because people call them a tattletale. So you can't say you'll never be in trouble if you tell, okay? I would love to be able to say that, but have talk to your kids that like that if you come to me and you tell me somebody's making you feel upset I'm not going to be mad at you okay 
but understand that this can come at a really high cost, right? Just So try to be accepting of them when they come and tell you. Like if they say, grandma touched me and it made me feel uncomfortable, be like, seriously, how could you ever say that about grandma, right? No, but that's going to put you in a really uncomfortable position, okay? And so even if you tell your child in that moment that it's okay, if they hear you crying about it to somebody else or struggling with it out loud or something like that, that's going to send them the message they're in trouble, okay? So again, I just want you to kind of think through this, but it's something our children need to hear because it's a way perpetrators tend to um, isolate children. Other ways to keep your children safe before hiring a babysitter, send, um, sending a child to child care, ask hard questions. That means at church, um, camps, um, anything, ask hard questions. Perpetrators need to know your pain attention, okay? Um, I've worked with so many, so many perpetrators, and one of the things they said is when they knew parents were paying a lot of attention that to talk to their kids about this sort of thing, they tend to stay away more, okay? So that's really important. Discuss safety rules with friends and family. So if your kid's going to a weekend at grandma and grandpa's, have a discussion with them about your rules. Just help them reinforce that. Um, Trust your gut. If it feels weird, it probably is. How many times do we tell ourselves to stop overreacting? Okay. I heard an Oprah one time um, where this woman had been raped, and she said the whole time before it happened, before this guy jumped out, the hair on the back of her neck was standing up. And we're the only mammals that tell ourselves we're being ridiculous, okay? There is a difference between anxiety and intuition, okay? Anxiety is a lot of what-ifs. Intuition is just kind of that creepy feeling. So we can talk about that more later, um, possibly. Um, confront behavior that feels inappropriate. Um, I, my son was at a church camp last summer, and a teen volunteer, I walked into the room, and was doing that egg thing all over my son's leg. And it was so uncomfortable for me because I knew this kid's story. I knew his age. He had a real heart for like volunteering and I didn't want to get him in trouble, but this just rubbed me the wrong way. So I talked to, I talked to the director. I talked to this kid's parents and I just said, Hey, this made me uncomfortable. I talked to my son. This made me uncomfortable, but it felt really weird. And I'm sure you all can imagine confronting behaviors um, that would feel really, really awkward for you, but we need to do it to keep our kids safe. Uh, Don't prioritize awkwardness over your child's safety. That's just kind of the other sides of that. All right, next slide. Okay, pornography. We went into this a little bit. The average age of first exposure to pornography is 11. Average age of first phone is 10.5. So that's no accident, right? Um, By age 12, one-third of all children have seen pornography. Between the ages of 14 to 18, 81% of youth have seen porn. I know a lot of you in here do not have this old of kids, but when you're hiring a babysitter, when they're around cousins, neighbors, understand that those kids have mobile pornography devices, (laughs) okay? Um, Children under the age of 10 years old now account for 10% of visitors to porn video sites. Pornography is sometimes used by teens or adults to groom kids, which means to get them to be your friend. So they might show your eight-year-old son something, 
and then that's a way of kind of shaming him and keeping him to keep secrets and then making him more um, more possible of being of abusing him. If someone does this, they are breaking body safety rules and it's okay to talk with an adult you trust. So this is another hypothetical situation to talk to your kids about. What would you do if you're on YouTube and you see a pornographic image? Talk to your kids about what pornographic images are. Again, age appropriately. Sometimes there's videos that show us naked bodies or videos that show it make us uncomfortable. And our kids are surrounded by devices. They need to know about this, okay? Pornography is a way that can predispose your child to being sexually abused. It is abusive, but it also predisposes them to abusing children as well, especially exposing themselves and asking other children to expose themselves to them. Um, oh, really quickly, quick story on that. I had a six-year-old girl years and years ago that was obsessed with My Little Pony. She watched it all the time on YouTube. She saw a My Little Pony video that was sexually explicit and had some material in it that was, I can't even go into how explicit it was. The parents never knew because it was My Little Pony. This little girl was so traumatized by that and it got her into super deep pornography. So by the time I started seeing her at nine, she was on some of the most hardcore pornography sites that I've ever seen. Now, I want you all to know that it does not matter the site, okay? These people, it's lucrative. Pornography is lucrative, okay? Where there's money, they're gonna find a way to bring it into people's lives, okay? So if your child has an individual device, I don't care if they're three, my son saw pornographic material when he was watching a construction video, okay, that like on my phone, okay? So it was just on YouTube and I was right there and then a pornographic image came up, okay? This can happen through any site. Your child should never be alone with a device and like in their rooms or something like that. Try to always be hearing, talk to them about it. My kids have come to me several times with inappropriate material that they found online. Try to create that situation of they can talk to you about it, but they're not in trouble, okay? Um, okay, um, and then we're, we're going to wrap up and leave some room for questions, but warning signs your child has been sexually abused, stimulating adult sexual acts, inserting objects into their anus or vagina. This is not something that occurs to children very naturally on their own, so this is something to pay attention to. Stimulating sexual gestures, persistent themes of sexuality in their play, exposing their own genitals to other children, and it can't be redirected because there's this incessant need to show and be shown. That's, that's concerning. Withdrawn behavior or oppositional behavior, tantrums or nightmares, changes in personality. Okay. What keeps parents from speaking up? Uncertainty, is this abusive, is it not? I don't know, this is weird. Awkwardness, oh, I don't know if I can tell the parent about this, this feels weird. I don't know if I can speak up to this teacher about this or my parents about this, right? Fear of what will happen, fear of having their child or another child be labeled. Sexual predator or sexually abusive, like these are hugely stigmatizing titles and it can keep people from reporting it or getting the help they need. Fear of the law, shame, and embarrassment. Okay, so what do you do? First thing um, that I want to talk to you all about is this phone number um, is how you report an incident to the state, okay? Um, what you can do if you're wondering about something being abusive, let's say there's a situation with a neighbor, 
you can call them and do a hypothetical call, okay? You can call this number and say, hey, my child just just witnessed something or had a really horrible interaction with a neighbor. I don't know if it's reportable or a teacher, but I would like to know what to do. This is a great resource for that. Um, if your child is showing concerning behavior or has has abused another child, do not ignore it. I cannot even tell you how often parents will call me that I do not have their information. They'll ask me if their child's behavior was abusive. When I say that it was abusive, they'll hang up because they don't want their child to get labeled. But what is so important if you're recognizing this behavior in your child or you're recognizing that it has been done by them, get them help, get them support. Um, there's I would recommend speaking to a child therapist with training in this area for both if your child is the perpetrator or the one being abused, okay? Um, super important because I want you to know if you're noticing abusive behavior in your child, these are things they can get support with. These are things we don't ignore because we don't want them to grow. Um, if you speculate someone in your child's life is unsafe for them, avoid them. So. Uh, there are situations where you can't avoid them and it's not reportable and like obviously dangerous, just gives you the heebie-jeebies like, oh, I don't like this. Talk to your child about a way they can stay safe. Stay with your child the whole time. Safety plan around this whole thing, okay? Don't just ignore it and hope for the best because it's an awkward situation. Okay. Okay, so Parenting safe children, again, I've mentioned that several times. This is where a lot of this material comes from. She is the authority, Feather Burkauer, parentingsafechildren.com. She has a resource list, list on there. I don't know if we want to email this uh, PowerPoint, but I maybe, maybe we could do that. Yeah, but the resource list on that website is so extensive and amazing. I wasn't even going to put it on here because it would have taken like 10 slides, but it's all kind of chunked by what your needs are, okay? So um, I think now we'll do questions, right? Questions, comments, things like that. Sorry to speed through such a crazy topic. <laughs> Can you hear me? Um, the short answer is no. Um, it's, our kids are tech geniuses, okay? I would say the thing to put the most confidence in is talking to your child about it constantly and supervising them. If I tell you there's a great source for that, I don't want you to feel confident in it because I hear of times all the time where kids can break through it at eight, nine, 10. They know how to do that, okay? So I don't want you to ever feel safe in that. There, and I might get this, there is a guy I talked to that has a web website called iParenting, and it's basically like teaching parents to keep their kids safe in the digital age. And he, I talked to him a lot pre-COVID, and his material was already outdated, and he was saying it's impossible to keep up with all of the things, ways people are getting to children and, you know, things like that. But he has new content, so you might check that out. But... I would say, short answer, unfortunately, no. And once we do have that technology, they're going to figure out how to get through it. But that doesn't mean don't do it. But there's, there's a lot of options, but none of them are foolproof. So I have a cousin who has a 14-year-old son. Three years ago, he came home from school 
very shaken, he okay. said the words to his mom, I have seen evil. And mm-hmm. then he clammed up and hasn't said a word since. Mm-hmm. I think we can all probably guess what happened, mm-hmm. um, but they can't get him to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And he's in an institution now. Um, it's that bad. Mm. Um, but he won't talk to therapists about it. He's been, you know, they've tried just about everything. My question is for, for you. I'm a very scared mother of a two-year-old, a two-year-old girl. If your child comes home one day from school or wherever and says something like that to you, what's step one to, yeah. like, figure out what's going on? And First fix of all, it? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, second of all, if you're feeling that I'm a scared mom of a two-year-old, I want you to every single day trust in those verses that talk to you about how you can trust God with your children, right? Because we could be with our children all the time and not be able to protect them from the world. And that's a wonderful feeling that he's always with them, but it's also a really scary feeling, right? Because we just want to hold them, right? But the thing is, we cannot protect them from everything. And so I think with children, if that sort of thing happened, the key is relationship. You can't force it out of them. Just be with them, okay? Being with them, creating the safety of that relationship, that was scary. I'm here if you want to talk about it. But if you're like, you have to tell me right now who showed it to you, that sort of thing. Because you have to understand in a teenager's mind, in a child's mind, These people who have shown the material or sometimes when they see the material, they feel so shamed about it, right? I just saw a horrible thing. I cannot tell anybody about this because they're going to think I'm dirty or they're going to think I don't know what else. But the thing is, is that there's a lot of controls or um, a power around these kind of images. So if you just be with them. Just say, hey, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. If you want to draw me a picture of it, do you want to talk to somebody else about it? Sometimes talking to somebody else about it can make it worse because um, they're like, oh, that's a strange, I don't want to tell them. But sometimes it's better because they don't have to say words they feel uncomfortable with with their parent and have a trained professional you know, that, that could help direct that. But Bottom line is there's no forcing it out of them, okay? But just relationship being there. Hey, do you and mom want to go have some special time together? Increasing that sort of connection piece is probably the best thing to do. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a hard situation. Right now in the culture, there's a lot going on where um, schools are wanting to talk to small children about sexual things and then you've seen states starting to say you can't and that has a whole political issue going around it but what do you think about four to eight year olds for you know the younger ages being spoken to about sexuality when it's not the parent initiating the conversation well um so it's funny my daughter is she's in fifth grade and she's just going through sex ed through a public school right now and that's one of the the reasons why I'm so passionate about starting to talk to her kids about sex from the time they're toddlers, babies, just constant, constant. Like the other day we were driving by two foxes and they were mating and it was like kind of an odd way of mating. They do it backwards sometimes. I don't know if you guys knew that, but my son goes, mom, that's not the way you're supposed to mate. That looks like, that's not the way it's supposed to look. And I was like, you're right, that does look kind of weird, right? And that's because we've constantly talked about this type of thing, right? So I think that's all the more reason to have us be the educators, right? So that 
I don't care what kind of school your child is in, they are going to be educated by the world, okay? And so I know a lot of parents that take their children out of those sort of programs or things like that. And, like, I know at my daughter's, like, public school, I could have opted her out of that, okay? And that's every parent's choice, okay? But understand that they're going to be saturated with it. It's in movies. It's in songs. Kids are going to talk about it. It's on every single device. It's everywhere. So I think broaching the subject before, I will talk to my children all the time about like, you know, um, what does it mean to be gay? What does it mean to be lesbian? What does that mean about sex? Okay, that's my daughter's getting to the age where she can have more of that. But if I avoid that, then if she sees that kind of image, will she understand what we as Bible-believing Christians believe, right? So I bring up those things even though they're so hard. And I say all the time, I feel weird about this. I feel uncomfortable right now. Or sometimes she'll ask me a question and I'll say something like, I don't know the answer. Let me figure it out or figure out some resources and then we'll talk about it together, but I'll come back and tell you. So never hesitate to say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me come back to it if you're feeling really uncomfortable about it. But hope that answered your question. But yeah, there's no easy, easy answer except that we want to be the educators of our children. I, I just was going to um, support what you're saying in that because I think that um, I heard a while ago that um, you can you can insulate your children but but not isolate them. Love that. Insulate but not isolate. Because you you can do everything in your power. Yeah. You know to isolate your children. Yeah. But it's not in the long run. It's not going to be safe yeah. and it's not going to be um, totally. helpful to them. Yeah. So I love that you're talking about explaining things to your children in yeah. an appropriate, not, you know, appropriate way of not going into great detail. They, they don't want great detail. Yeah. They just want to I, know overall. Okay. That, what does I, God think about that? I sex, think that's an important know? thing to speak on. A lot of parents think if they talk to their children about that, that they're going to repeat these things to their friends or they're going to become obsessed with them. I rarely, rarely see this happen. Occasionally a child will be like, vagina, vagina, vagina. Like, you know, like they'll just, but the thing is, is like, sometimes you as parents are like, or they're like, oh, is that animal having sex? Is this, you know, you'll talk to them about it and they'll become kind of hyper-focused on it, but that should digest eventually. Okay. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. So I have a two-year-old. So when do you start uh, talking about body safety and sex? From the beginning, right? So, so when like, is the beginning? <laughs> well, like, well, let's assume your two-year-old's still in diapers. Hey, yeah. mommy's changing your diaper. I'm wiping your butt right now. Why is it okay for me to wipe your butt, not a stranger, right? People are able to touch your private parts for cleaning purposes, but not for any other reason except if you're a doctor who's checking on those parts, right? And again, these I didn't go into very deeply those kind of body safety rules, but you can get some of those books or kind of look those sort of things up. But um, having that conversation with her right now, why is this okay, right? I'm touching your vagina right now, right? But it's okay because I'm cleaning your vagina, okay? And just having those kind of conversations with them during the everyday task of changing their diapers is, is a huge piece. Uh, a lot of doctors, pediatricians now, when they check on your child's genitals, will say something like, hey, why is this okay before they do it? And that might be something where when your child goes in for their annual wellness check, you might have a conversation with them heading in. Hey, 
you're going to the doctor today. They're going to check on how well your body's growing. And part of that is to see, you know, your genitals, your vagina, you know, whatever names you have given them for it, which I encourage you to have as much anatomically correct names. And then say, um, so they're going to pull down your pants and they're going to look at it, but that's only when you go to the doctor for them to check on that certain part or, you know, whatever. And that's how you teach them appropriate versus inappropriate, right? So if a teacher or something like that would touch their penis or a camp counselor or a daycare provider or something like that, they would be like, hey, they're not diapering me. They're not checking on if I'm growing well. This, this should raise a flag for them. And that's what we kind of want to lay that foundation even now at two. Okay. I have a question, Courtney. Yeah. So I like I get the like kind of safety stuff for just like what you're explaining, but kind of when it comes to talking to them about sex and the relationship part and some of that stuff, do you feel like you discern at all like kind of their interest level or like could some kid with some personalities have a hard, you know, some kids are just interested and they want to know the information, but some kids might have a harder time with that. Do you see any line there? Oh, hundred percent. I think this goes with like every, every topic we talk to our kids about is like some kids are really curious and really blunt and other ones are just so mortified by the topic that it's traumatic that they are just talking about it. But every kid at a certain level, we'll start to kind of wonder where babies come from, right? And by us being like, oh, you know, a mommy and daddy get married and they have babies. We're doing them a huge disservice. So even if they don't ask, you can just kind of say something, you know, like, you know, mommy and daddy have, you know, dads have penises, moms have vaginas, you know, dad, you can go into this with the books that they have. Um, I love this for my, one of my kids who's super awkward about this. We just read it as part of our reading ritual. So it's not like me randomly bringing it up um, and talking about it because it feels uncomfortable because we don't want the dreaded question of, so do you and dad have sex, right? How often, where, you know, all those kind of questions. We want to avoid that, right? Because it feels weird. And that's like a lot of parents are confused about that. We don't want to traumatize our kids. But I think I would recommend for that age, I mean, that issue is just be like, hey, we're going to read about this today. We're going to look at um, some of the books I like. It's like a comic strip, and it shows, like, two adults, like, in a bed, and then it shows, like, what's happening inside of the body, like the sperm and the egg, and then it shows, like, the baby forming, and then it shows just the full development. And it says it in this very just, like, just watching an animal mate and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but it's in a kid-friendly kind of version. So I would introduce it in a, like, external way versus you just being like, hey, what do you think about sex, right? What do you know about it, you know? Something that kind of would help them with that anxiety around that, I guess. Yeah. Yes? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but so like our six and four-year-old, they usually take a bath together. They're both girls. And then our two two-year-olds, one boy, one girl. Mm -hmm. So like at what age do you kind of start breaking it up and be like, everyone That's another is one that's totally age and kid appropriate, I mean, dependent, okay? So parents also wonder this also with like showering with their own kids you'll know, okay? It just becomes like, at one moment you're like, wow, 
I feel uncomfortable, you know? And I think I, every parent told me that would happen, and I definitely had moments where I started feeling that way with my kids bathing together, and then it just naturally kind of faded apart. So I went and put a line in the sand. Just think about, like, how, so, like, the six-year-old and the two-year-old, like, how curious is your six-year-old being? How, uh, how respectful is your two-year-old being? You'll also notice that the older children will start to become more private with their bodies, um, and at what age that happens is totally dependent on them. So I wouldn't, I would just say pay attention, make sure that the boundaries and those body safety rules are being followed, and just kind of feel and trust your intuition on that. But there isn't any this is when it's inappropriate to happen. Okay. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, oh, yeah, I did talk about the showering with your, where your kids are bathing with them. Yeah, same thing. Uh, so, um, of course, all of us, we want to protect as much as we can, but can you speak to the hope of healing if anything bad does happen? I mean, is there hope for a good life still on the other side? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sorry, I, I actually didn't emphasize that enough. Went into so much why it's dangerous and not not how it can be healed. Any of you who who are Christians, I hope that you know how healing God's power can be, okay? So outside of um, therapy for trauma and sexual abuse, like I believe that God can heal all things, okay? And so I think as Christians, we need to trust that, right? That we we are with a God that rose from the dead, right? That has performed amazing miracles. And I think that he's a God of healing and we need to trust in that, okay? But what we do know is that there, it's really hopeful, right? That people can establish a healthy relationship with their body after their body was used in an inappropriate way, right? Um, when they were objectified, when they were treated like they weren't, um, they weren't valuable, right? And again, I go back to, as Christians, we can't put off something. We cannot put off feeling victimized, abused, worthless without putting on our worth, right? And teaching, if you, if you, if your child has been abused, teaching them where their worth comes from, teaching them that God has created them perfectly, that God loves them, that God will heal them, that God is there for them. All those different things is so important if you're teaching them to put it off or with yourself. I work with so many women who have been sexually abused that didn't really realize it until they became adults, moms, things like that. And then they're learning a new relationship with their body, like every day, right? Like, oh, this makes sense why I feel this pressure to have my body look this way. Or this makes sense why I'm constantly anxious in this situation. And they're just figuring that out as an adult. And they are able to heal from that by just kind of challenging some of those assumptions and, um, and anxieties as they come up. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of hope in both... Um, you know, our ultimate healing through Christ and then, um, you know, in, in therapy to address this sort of thing. So, yeah. Let's take one more question, if there are any. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one quick last thing. Yeah, Sorry. There is, there is a form, I have to say this because, again, statistically speaking, somebody in this room, probably a, a few of you have experienced this, but there is a form of OCD that a lot of moms experience where you get this fear that you're going to sexually abuse a child, okay? So that's a really, really common thing for new moms. And the reason is, is because our brain fears it happening a lot. So you'll get this visual of like, oh my gosh, 
I, I get this from moms all the time. I was staring, like they're so embarrassed. I was staring at my son's penis. Does that mean I'm going to abuse him, okay? That is a form of OCD, okay? That is very, very common in the, especially the postpartum period. And the brain is just confused, okay? It's fearing something so much that you could ever hurt your child that way that it obsesses over it, okay? If you're experiencing that, don't let the shame keep you from getting the help that you need to kind of deal with that. There's so many effective treatments for it. It's just something you have to recognize early. If you keep it in the shadows, it's one of those things that can really, really grow. But it's not because because you are going to abuse your child in most situations, it's because you fear that above all else, okay? And so that's why the brain can play that trick on yourself, especially during times of like high stress and anxiety, like postpartum periods, okay? Just thought I'd point that out in case anybody has experienced that or is. Okay, well, thank you, Courtney, yeah, so much for being with us. All right, thank you guys and so much. Courtney will be here for a little bit if any of you want to come up and just share something or ask a question privately. And we'll go into discussions now for the next 25 minutes.